Good morning. Welcome to Faith, whether this is your first time here or you are here all the time, whether you are gathered in person or watching via live stream, you are welcome here by God's grace and He meets us here with His love and with His peace. I have a lot of announcements this morning and usually I wouldn't do this many, but this is also cause for celebration because a lot of our youth and children's ministries are restarting and we have a lot of exciting things going on the next couple months. So I'm going to I'm going to run through a number of things as a way, for one thing, of celebrating as we open up more that there are more ministries happening, and as another, just a way of reminding all of us what is going on in our church. Uh, all these things are in the bulletin too, so if you want more details, you don't quite catch something, you can check the bulletin. Thinking of worship, we are in the season of Lent. This is the 40 days leading up to Easter, and historically, this is a time that the church has reflected on what our situation is, repented of the wrong that we have done, and then looked forward to Easter with rejoicing in the grace that the Lord gives us through His Son. So you are invited to reflect, repent, and rejoice as we look toward Easter. This week, we're again picking up our Centered on the Cross of Christ series. I'm going to be preaching from Matthew 26 through 28 for the next few weeks leading up to Easter. Then we'll take a few weeks off this series and then may pick up again after Jesus' resurrection with, with the question of where Jesus invites us to go next. So for the next few Sunday mornings, we'll be in Matthew 27 and 28. And for the evenings, I'm going to take part of the morning text from Matthew and reflect on them in more depth. So both morning and second sermons the next few weeks will be focused on the Gospel of Matthew. As we look toward Easter, we're also going to be producing a number of devotional videos, uh, much like we did for Advent and Christmas, but only for a week and a half or so leading up to Easter. We're going to have congregation members read Scripture and offer just a brief reflection and prayer to help us really center, center on the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, details in the bulletin, and you can check our website too as we get to about a week and a half out from Easter. We'll start putting those up. Children's Church is beginning today during this service, so children ages 3 through kindergarten will be invited to go out before the sermon. They'll hear a lesson at, their, at an age-appropriate level, have some activities. That'll be on the south end of church. We do have some capacity limitations for that ministry right now, so we ask that you register ahead of time if you want your child to attend, and we'll see. Um, this week, I think we maxed out. Hopefully, we'll be able to increase capacity as time goes forward. But exciting that our three through kindergarten group will again have children's church. Starting after church today, we'll have Sunday school from 1045 to 1115 for grades 1 through 5. So again, 1045 to 1115, grades 1 through 5, we'll have Sunday school. Uh, we're looking towards starting faith formation for 6th through 12th grade in the coming weeks, but not quite there yet. This evening, the Asylum, our middle school youth group, will be meeting tonight from 5 o'clock to 6.30. I'm going to have a brief uh, lesson from the scripture, and then we're going to have some games and activities, including Death Star Bowling and Lightsaber Tag. I'm not going to tell you any more about that, so you have to show up if you want to know what Death Star Bowling looks like. And uh, both our high school and middle school youth groups are meeting monthly going forward. Cadets, our boys club, is meeting this Wednesday. Again, details in the bulletin. And all of these activities are masked, socially distanced, COVID conscious, but we do want to, as the opportunity opens up, gather together 
as God's people. And it is truly a blessing to have these opportunities for fellowship and growth. And even more than that, it's a blessing to gather in worship together, to come to see each other, to praise the Lord, and to hear His word together. And now, please stand to receive God's greeting. And receive these words from the Lord. Repent and turn to the Lord our Savior and King. And He will wipe out your sin through the appointed Messiah. He will refresh you through the Holy Spirit. He will restore you in all things according to His promises. Amen. The worship team is going to come up now. We're going to sing two songs. Our first song, Come People of the Risen King, invites us to draw near to the Lord in worship. And the next song, You Are My King, invites us to praise our loving King Jesus. We'll remain standing to praise the Lord together.
just a moment, we're going to be reading a setting of the Ten Commandments together, but, but I want us to have a particular perspective on those commandments. Often when we talk or, or even think about the Ten Commandments, we think of it as kind of a, a have-to-do sort of thing. God gives us this list of things, and, and if we want Him to be happy with us, then we have to do those. But really, the Ten Commandments they find their right place in a certain picture of the world. And I, I want to give you a word to help think that through. We'll put it up on the screen. But that word is cosmology. And that comes from two Greek words that, that basically are a picture of the world or, or a sense of the way the world works. And the way the world works for us as believers, the way the world works for us because of Jesus is that God has delivered us and he has set us free. That is our cosmology, our picture of the world. And out of gratitude for that, out of gratitude for Christ's work, we hear God's commands not as, you must do this, but you get to do this. You get to live the type of life that all of us deep down really want to live in tune with the Lord, in tune with ourselves, in tune with those around us, in tune with the world. The reading of the Ten Commandments we'll go through together in just a moment begins not with a command, but with a reminder that the Lord has delivered his people. Even God's law is set in the context of his love. So let's now read together how we can live in the ways of the Lord. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our fathers that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember, that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. 
you shall not steal. These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud, and the deep darkness. And he added nothing more. Having heard God's word, let's again declare that he is our king and that he will reign over all things. Let's stand and together sing, Jesus shall reign. just a moment, we're going to go to our Heavenly Father in prayer, but before we do that, I want to take a moment to recognize one of our volunteers. Uh, Christy Hooker, I don't think she's in the building today, but we want to recognize her for 22 years of service in Children's Church. She, uh, she started with helping, teaching. She's been the Children's Church director for quite a number of years, um, and now she's stepped out of that role. So we want to take a moment in the service today to thank Christy for her many, many years of leading children's church programs, teaching the children some of the older hymns, helping them celebrate and grow. A lot of our young people here have really, really benefited from Christy's work over the years. So we want to acknowledge that and give her thanks for her work over the years. We're also going to give Christy a little bit of a, a gift or a memento for, uh, for something to remember her work by. We do have some interim leadership for Children's Church. Again, it's starting today. We'll, we'll continue for the next few months. Uh, but we are really tremendously grateful for Christy and for all of the people over the years who have helped to raise our children in the Lord. Another announcement before we go to prayer. Uh, Ray Rosendahl went back to the hospital yesterday. They're still running some tests, not quite sure what's going on, but please keep Ray and Sharon in your prayers. And let's pray. Our great Lord, our gracious God and our heavenly Father, we praise and we thank you for your overflowing love for us. We're grateful that you made each one of us 
We're grateful that you found us in our sin and you delivered us by the work of Christ. And we are grateful that you continue to live in us day by day and to make us better day by day. Father, we are thankful that you are a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. We are grateful that we can trust you to take care of us. And Father, we pray that you do continue to make your church stronger. Help all of us individually and all of us together to grow. As we begin Children's Church and Sunday School and the Asylum today, as a number of our ministries are, are restarting or continuing, we pray that you especially bless the faith formation of our children and our youth. Today we give thanks for Christy's 22 years of service with Children's Church, for, for all the ways she helped our children celebrate and grow. We are grateful for all of your volunteers, for, for the many, many people who you have gifted and called to serve to, to build up the faith of our young ones. And Father, we pray that you continue to guide and to encourage our ministries. Help us to plan well, help us to seize opportunities as they come along, and help us also to be flexible, to be patient, to, to make things work as well as we can in these strange times. Father, we ask, too, that you turn the hearts of our neighbors and our neighborhoods, our, our villages, our towns, our city, our nation, our world, all around us, turn people's hearts to you. We ask that you call and equip some from among us to go out and to serve as missionaries in our neighborhoods and around the world. We pray that you give each of us the ability and the opportunity to witness to you and make the hearts of those around us receptive to hearing the good news of Jesus Christ crucified and risen for us. And today, Father, we pray for those who are facing particular struggles. Give relief and peace to those who, who grieve loved ones, whether they passed away recently or, or there's an anniversary of a death or a loss. Father, we pray that you walk with us through these dark times. And we pray, too, for those who face ongoing battles with cancer, with chronic health conditions, with things being just not right in their body or their mind. Lord, we ask, we ask especially for Ray and Sharon with this latest health challenge that you enable the medical staff to figure out exactly what is going on with Ray and how best to treat it. And we pray that you give Ray and Sharon your peace and your comfort. And Lord, even as we struggle, even as we fade away in this world, we ask that you give us peace and wholeness in you. And Father, in, in a time when the news is filled with power plays and corruption and selfishness, we pray that you bring transformation. Bring down the wicked. Raise up the righteous. Give political and social leaders the desire and the ability to follow your ways. Give them the endurance, the honesty, and the vision they need to practice justice and to promote mercy. And Father, we pray this looking forward to your kingdom of true justice and true mercy. Renew our hope in your kingdom today, we pray, and encourage us for the week ahead. Amen. During this next song, children ages three through kindergarten are invited to go out. They'll be gathering in classrooms on the south end of the building for a time of age-appropriate teaching and activities. So again, during that song, feel free to go out. Parents, you can go with your kids or just send them that direction if they know where to go. And here, 
Here as we rejoice in God hearing our prayers, here as we look forward to hearing God's word, let's together sing our alleluias to Jesus and we'll stand to sing. Let's, as we prepare to hear God's word, go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father, we pray that you center our eyes, center our hearts, center our lives on you. Help us today as we hear from your gospel to to rejoice in this good news. Help us to recognize our own condition and all the the need and sin and trouble that we experience and that day by day we so often choose. 
And Lord, today we pray that you work in us so that we reject all of that and turn again to the hope and the grace that you give us in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to truly hear, to accept, and to enjoy your word given to us today. Amen. So in this series, we're, we're looking at different ways that we're, we're to be centered on the cross of Christ. A few weeks ago, we worked through Matthew chapter 26. The next few weeks will be in Matthew 27. And then on Easter, we'll, we'll, land on Good Friday, or we'll land on Easter with Matthew 28 and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to be picking up the beginning of Matthew 27, and we'll read from verse 1 to verse 26. So hear the word of the Lord for us here today. Early in the morning... All the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I've sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field, as the Lord commanded me. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. And all the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. We're going to start today by talking about despair and hope. 
Dante's Inferno is probably the most famous book about hell ever written. It was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And, and in this journey, Dante, the author of the book, puts himself in the book and he takes this fictional journey through hell, purgatory, and then up to heaven. And hell, in Dante's picture of it, has nine levels and, and different types of sinners, people with a different besetting sin are at each level. And so there's, there's the people whose besetting sin was lust and wrath and greed and gluttony. And it goes down and down with each level becoming worse and worse. And at every level, there are hellish punishments inflicted on these people that are in keeping with the type of sin that, that characterize their life. So, so the people who are in the circle of lust, for example, who were unfaithful, they're continually blown about by this horrible hot wind they can never rest for a moment because just as in life they flew from one thing to another now for eternity they are condemned to to be blown and blown and blown forever and Dante goes on down and down through the different circles of hell and finally he comes to the very pit the ninth level the bottom and there he sees Satan and Satan has three mouths and in each mouth there is a sinner continually being chewed upon, being punished forever. And this is the circle of treachery, the circle where the traitors go. And in, in one of the mouths of Satan being, being ground up for all eternity is Judas. Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. Now, of course, the inferno is a work of fiction, but I think as a as a picture of Judas's experience for eternity, I think that we could, we could do worse than to picture him being ground into nothingness forever and ever and ever. And in our text, you get the sense that Judas begins to understand what he's done. He begins to understand what a terrible, terrible act he has committed in betraying Jesus. And what does he do? Well, he tries to pay his way out of it. Judas was paid those 30 pieces of silver by the chief priests and the leaders. He was, he was paid that to hand Jesus over to them. And, and now he goes back and he, he tries to give the money back. And 30 pieces of silver was the price of, of a human being, the price of a slave. And so in one sense, Judas was, was paid the price for Jesus. But now he's going back and with that 30 pieces of silver, he's trying to buy his own life back. He's trying to, to pay this money to get himself out from under this crushing responsibility. And it doesn't work. He goes to the chief priests and the elders. He goes to the religious authority and says, please accept this offering. And, and the subtext there is so that I'm no longer responsible, so that my guilt is paid for, so that, so that this innocent blood is no longer on my shoulders. And his attempt is rejected. The leaders say, what is that to us? It's your responsibility. It's on you. There's no getting it off. And so Judas despairs. And he throws the money at the leaders and, and he stomps off and he finds a tree and he hangs himself. And he tips himself into the very pit of hell. Instead of repenting, instead of seeking hope, he casts himself into eternal despair. Now, there's a lot of ways in this life that 
that we might experience despair. And I, I thought about going down any number of roads today. We could talk about how our politics more and more seem to lead us to despair. We could talk about how our, our culture, though it claims that none of us are guilty, nonetheless has a certain code that we have to follow. And, and if we don't follow it, then no matter what we do, we stand condemned. And, and how there's always the next thing we have to do. And, and there's all kinds of ways that we might experience despair in this life. But but ultimately, this text wants to bring us to spiritual and to eternal despair. And some of us don't struggle with that this much, but others of us, for our whole lives, we've, we've been weighed down by this sense that, that we stand condemned, that we aren't good enough, that there's no way we can get out of this burden of, of trouble and sin and wrongness and brokenness and and we struggle with grasping or recognizing or, or acknowledging the reality that God could love us because we feel so bad about ourselves. And, and we wonder if at the end we're going to be tipped into the pit of hell because, because we are who we are and we can't change it. We might not be Judas, but, but maybe we do belong in the inferno. And for some of us, we probably should have more of that sense than we do, but, but for some of us, our lives are, are all caught up in that. And we grieve and we sorrow and we're tempted to despair. But the Bible tells us there are, there are two roads through despair. There are, there are two types of sorrow. And 2 Corinthians 7 talks about, talks about a kind of sorrow that leads to death. And that's what we see here in Judas, a, a type of despair that he realizes what he's done and he begins to realize the consequences of it and he realizes there's no hope and, and he tries to buy his way out of it. When that doesn't work, he just gives up and, and casts himself out of this life and into the dis despair of the next life. That's ungodly sorrow. But then 2 Corinthians 7 goes on and it tells us about a type of sorrow that leads to repentance and then on to salvation. And if you are listening to this message today and you are one of those people who, who wonder about the state of your salvation even though you want to belong to Jesus or, or one of those people who for whatever reason is tempted to despair, well, turn to hope. Don't let your sorrow, don't let that weight bring you down, but instead let that weight be a reminder that you need to turn to Jesus. Don't try to pay for your own sins. Don't try to work or, or to gut your way through out of that trouble, but instead turn to Jesus and let his shed blood give you hope. There was no hope for Judas. There was no hope for Judas because he betrayed Jesus and because he rejected Jesus. Even in his sorrow, he didn't turn back to Jesus, but instead continued going his own way. And for those who continue going their own way, there is no hope. But for all who turn to Jesus, there is hope for today and for eternity. It doesn't matter what your disappointment or what your failing or what your sin is. If you turn to Jesus, there is hope. The only hopeless road you can walk in this life, the only hopeless road that you can walk in this life is the road that takes you away from Jesus. And the only road of hope that you can walk in this life, the only road of hope, is the one that takes you to Jesus. 
So when you are tempted to despair, instead turn to Jesus and he will give you hope. Turn from despair to hope. And also turn from cynicism to trust. If we are representative of of the usual temperaments of humanity here in this group, there are probably some of you when we talk about despair and hope who roll your eyes a little bit and think, yeah, yeah, right, that's nice. Keep talking, but that's not the real world. Some of us, more than others, have a temptation to, to cynicism. And as we walk through this text, verses Verses 1 to 10 give us this picture of despairing Judas, but then a lot of the rest of the text that we read for this morning show us cynical Pilate. And Pilate's seen too much and he's done too much to care too much about anything much anymore. Even Jesus himself makes just a little bit of an impression on Pilate, but Pilate's cynical self-armor is is so deep Jesus hardly even scratches it. It's obvious in this text that when the leaders bring Jesus to Pilate, Pilate smells a rat. He can tell that this is, this is all trumped-up charges, and it's all bogus, and it just doesn't pass the smell test. And so over and over again, Pilate makes moves to, to try to get these people to agree to let Jesus go. In verse 17, he asks, do you want me to release Barabbas or Jesus, the bad guy or the good guy? And then when the crowd calls for Barabbas to be freed and Jesus executed, Pilate asks again, which of the two do you want me to release? Subtext, the bad guy or the good guy? And when again they call for Barabbas, he says, well, then what should I do with Jesus? Subtext, I should let him go, right? And then again, when the crowd shouts, crucify him, Pilate asks, why? What has he done wrong? But after all those somewhat half-hearted attempts fail, the people keep on shouting, crucify him, crucify him, and And when it becomes obvious that freeing Jesus is going to cost him politically, Pilate just gives up. When he sees that he's getting nowhere but an uproar is starting, he he cashes out. He's 100% convinced. He has no doubt that Jesus is an innocent man who is getting framed. And yet, nonetheless, he decides just to throw in the towel. Even when he knows what's right, when he he can tell it's going to be politically costly, he just just backs off and let things take their course. He makes it entirely clear from his perspective and the perspective of justice, Jesus is innocent. But then he has some water brought to him and he washes his hands and and he says, I'm clean. I am innocent of this man's blood. It is not my responsibility. And even in that ritual that he chooses, Pilate is is kind of taking a dig at the crowd. That was not a Roman ritual. That was a Jewish purification ritual. So so what Pilate is saying and what he says and what he does is, this is your problem. This is all on you people. It's, It's not on me. I'm out. Don't blame me. Pilate, Pilate is just another cynical politician. Now there's... There's a number of different perspectives we can take on what's going on with, with Pilate and Jesus and what's going on in this text, and we aren't, we aren't going to be able to exhaust all of that today, but, but I want us to take a couple perspectives here, and let me, let me give you a, a picture to help us as we think through these different perspectives. In photography or in taking movies, there's this trick of perspective that if you put someone closer to the camera, 
they look larger and larger and larger, right? So if you have someone who's right up on top of the camera and you set the background up in a certain way, they can look like a giant. And the opposite is true, too, that if you, if you back someone off from the camera, if you back them off farther and farther and farther and you get the right background, someone can look quite small. So you can have two people who are exactly the same size, but if you, if you set up your perspective right, you put one person close, one person far away, these people who are the same size can look like one's a giant and one's a dwarf. And actually, if you have a giant and a dwarf and you're, you're good at this, you can make the giant appear small and the dwarf appear huge. Now, one way of, of looking at this text would have us think that Pilate is the giant here. He is the representative of the most powerful empire in the world at that point. He's a governor. His word carries life or death in it. He is the man. In one way, he's, he's a giant. And Jesus is just another prisoner, just another pawn in the political system, just another victim. And as it, as it turns out, Pilate actually isn't a giant, right? He's, he's a cynic. He has no real power because he can't even stand up to a crowd to do what's right. He's just, well, he's just another weakling who gets bowled over on the way to yet more injustice in the world. And when we look at the world, when we look at the world, it often seems like the powers of right, well, they should be giants. They should be strong. They should be able to deliver on making the world a good and just and safe place. And yet, and yet they're fakes and frauds. And so with good reason, we are often cynical about whatever power, whatever institution, whatever authority we see in this world because because we've been let down too often, and because we know that we will be let down again. And our, our society, our nation is becoming more and more cynical, and we are becoming more and more cynical about the church, too. Russell Moore, who is a Southern Baptist figure, an ethics guy, he, he wrote recently, the biggest threat facing the American church right now in his view, the biggest threat facing the American church right now is not secularism, but cynicism. Where a number of years or decades ago, we would have felt like the church was really a great place. Well, more and more people outside and people inside the church are feeling cynical. They're feeling let down. They're feeling like, oh, it's just another power play. What? Why do we even care? It's a perspective that's becoming more and more common. And Matthew, as he tells this story, in one way invites us into that perspective and, and invites us to feel, to feel outraged and to feel helpless and to feel overwhelmed because this governor, this man who should stand for what is right, instead is, is just a weak pushover on the road to injustice. But in the bigger picture of the gospel story, in the bigger picture of the gospel story, although Jesus looks weak here, although he looks small and insignificant, in the bigger picture of the gospel story, when we get our perspective right, we find that Jesus is the giant in this story. Jesus is the one who has the power to do whatever he wants. 
In Matthew 26, when he's being arrested, Jesus tells his disciples to, to back down, to let this happen, because if he wanted to take the route of violence, he could call on 72,000 angels, and, and they would come and wipe out the opposition. But instead, Jesus is choosing. He is choosing to be condemned by the powers of the world. He is choosing to suffer incredible injustice, to be falsely accused, to be declared innocent and yet sentenced to death. Jesus is choosing all of that. And Jesus will conquer all of that. Jesus, he's humiliated. He suffers, he dies, he goes into the grave, and then he explodes out of the grave on Easter Sunday, and he brings the good news that death is conquered. And with death, sin and injustice and wrong and evil, all of that has been conquered by Jesus Christ. And so today, even even when our earthly leaders, even when our government leaders, even when our church leaders let us down, we can still trust Jesus because He will never let us down. So don't give up. Don't give up on the world because God is at work even in this broken world. And don't give up on God's people because even though all of us are weak and broken, Jesus Christ Himself, in His weakness and brokenness, destroyed the grip of evil and death. So when you're tempted to be cynical, When you're tempted to roll your eyes, instead look to Jesus and see in him a leader who you can truly trust, a leader who has delivered all of us his people. And let's talk finally today about condemnation and freedom. I heard a story recently of a a person who in their college years, a number of years ago, they were invited out to eat by a nice older couple from church. And they went to this wonderful, nice restaurant. They said, hey, let's, let, we want to take you out. We'll take you out to this restaurant. It'll be great. I know college students don't get out that much, but come along with us. And they get to the restaurant, and the college student opens up the menu and, and kind of gasps at how expensive everything is. But, but her hosts say, oh, just order the steak. The steak here is incredible. I know it's the most expensive thing on the menu, but it's worth it. Get it for yourself. Okay. So she orders the steak, and then there's a truffles option with it, and it's an extra $17, which is a big deal for a college student, but they say, oh, just get it. How often in life do you have this opportunity? Just take it, enjoy it, seize the moment. So she does, and the food comes, they have a wonderful meal, they eat, they talk, it's great. She finishes it off, it's one of the best meals she's ever had. They're, they're about ready to go, and, and the husband of the couple who's hosting her calls the waiter over and says, uh, could you bring the bill? Oh, and separate checks, please. separate checks? And what do you do at that point? You're there. You don't want to make a fuss. And so, and so this college student buys, buys one meal for about the cost of three months of ramen. And she has to skip a couple meals that week because, because she t- unknowingly took on this obligation that she could not afford. Well, the crowd in this story When Pilate washes his hands and says, this is not my responsibility. I'm innocent of this man's innocent blood. What does the crowd say? Does the crowd try to get themselves out from under that burden? No, the crowd enthusiastically says, yes, let his blood be on us and on our children. 
Let his blood be on us and on our children. We accept. And they don't know. They don't know the bill that they're committing themselves to. They don't know what they are accepting because what they are accepting is the unjust execution of the only perfectly righteous man in the world. And that is a bill that, that they cannot pay. Now, historically, especially in the medieval times, there was a reading of this text that said that's the Jewish people. That is the Jewish people accepting punishment and condemnation for, for Jesus' death. And so we ought to punish them. And that is absolutely the wrong reading of this text. Absolutely wrong. See, when Matthew talks about that crowd, he uses a particular word that is often used in the Bible, not of just people in general or or the crowd in general, but he uses a word that is often used to refer to God's covenant people in relationship to him. So those people in that crowd, they are not just some random crowd and they are not just Jews of the first century. They are representative of all of God's covenant people in relationship with him. And you know what I just described? I just described us. We are God's covenant people in relationship with Him. And so when we see ourselves in this story, we should see ourselves in the crowd yelling, yes, let Jesus' blood be on me and on my children. I will take that responsibility. That is where we should see ourselves in this story. And if we really own that reality, then we should bow our heads and we should feel condemned because we cannot pay that debt that we owe. But Jesus is not a trickster. Jesus, when he invites us to something, always pays the bill himself. And so it is actually good news. It actually is something that we should want to shout. Yes, let Jesus' blood be on us and on our children. Because it is through Jesus' blood that we are set free. The crowd spoke better than they knew. What we need as God's covenant people in relationship with Him is for His blood to be poured out over us to free us from condemnation. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, when we break that bread as Christ's body was broken, when we pour out that wine as Christ's blood was poured out, we are celebrating the reality that we are part of that crowd and that by God's grace, Jesus' blood was shed for us. We are the ones who cry out and we are the ones who can joyfully cry out now, yes, let the blood of Jesus be upon us and our children. And that is the only way that we find freedom. We stand self-condemned, but by Jesus' blood, we are delivered. Despair kills us. Cynicism deadens us. And condemnation destroys us. But Jesus gives us hope. Jesus is the one in whom we can trust. And by Jesus' blood, we are set free. So let me invite you today to seek Jesus. When you are tempted to go down the road of despair, instead take the road of repentance and turn to Jesus, our hope. And when you feel that urging to be cynical, to roll your eyes and 
and look away. Instead, open your eyes to how Jesus is the one whom we can trust. And when you feel condemned and you're, you're tempted to sit there, instead, instead claim the blood of Jesus and find freedom in him. Follow Jesus to hope, to trust, and to freedom. Let's pray. Father, it is hard for us both to acknowledge how broken we are and to accept how much you love us. Father, each one of us is at a different place in that struggle, but we pray that wherever you are, that you draw us closer to you. If we haven't quite stepped into, into truly believing in you and, and committing our lives to you, then we pray that today you, you move us closer to you. Help us to see a glimpse of your glory. And Father, if we've committed ourselves to you again and again and again, but we still aren't quite sure that we belong, then we pray that you assure us that by Christ's blood, we truly do belong to you. And Father, if we're at a good place in our faith and we feel strong and, and we know, we know in our heart of hearts that we belong to you, then we pray that you help us to rejoice and help us to spread the good news. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. The worship team is going to come up now. We're going to sing three verses of Seek Ye First in just a moment. And let's, let's sing this song as a reminder to each other to turn from despair, to turn from cynicism, to turn from condemnation, and to follow the Lord's ways. Because in Him, in His kingdom, in His ways, we find true hope. When the team begins to play, let's stand and together remind each other to seek God's kingdom.
now receive this blessing and this affirmation from the Lord. I will refine you like silver and test you like gold. You will call on my name and I will answer you. I will say, you are my people. And you will say, the Lord is our God. Go in peace. Thank you.